Welcome to the Expat Cast. I'm your host, Nicole. I do want to remind everyone that I have a live event coming up soon. On September 30th in Freiburg at 6.30 p.m., I will be hosting an event in cooperation with International Podcast Day. There will be a panel discussion with me and some other local Freiburg podcasters, followed by a live episode of the Expat Cast. And a reminder, if you're not going to be able to make it to my event, there are tons of other events happening for International Podcast Day, so just check out their website. Now to bring it to the matter at hand, today's episode. As I teased in last week's episode, it is with a rival expat podcast. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so this is actually also a pretty funny story. I was checking my emails one day when I saw a certain note from a certain guy named Sean. Basically, Sean was days away from launching his podcast where he was going to talk about life as an expat in Germany and interviewing other expats in Germany when he found my podcast and said, oh, oh gosh, okay. (laughs) I think it was really cool that Sean took that experience and used it as an opportunity to reach out to me. Because, I mean, typically in this situation, right, this is supposed to be rivals. This is supposed to be a competition. But Sean reached out and made an offering of friendship in a way. And I was more than happy to receive it. I love podcasting. I love talking about expat topics. I think there's so much to discuss. I think it's great that there's two of us. And as a regular listener of Sean's podcast, I can tell you he does a great job. I highly recommend you check out his show, Expat Life Germany. Of course, it's a very different thing being a podcast guest than being a podcast host. So although I've listened to every episode of Sean's podcast, it was a totally different experience getting to talk to him on my show. And we dove into his family life in Germany. I am super jazzed to share this episode with you guys, and I hope you enjoy. I'm Sean Behrens. I'm originally from South Africa and I've been in Germany for 12 years and I'm currently living out in the countryside somewhere near Erlangen and Nuremberg. <laughs> somewhere off in the woods you've yet to really truly discover <laughs> your address. <laughs> yeah, I I like it. like it. yeah, it's a lot of tractors and barns and fields. Good. And that's about it. Does it smell like manure? Yeah, you know, in the beginning, that was one of the things that was keeping me from buying out in the country because the Germans called it Landluft. (laughs) And I always imagined it would be a lot worse than it is. But there are times of the year, I guess, when they're fertilizing their fields or whatever it is. I I don't know much about agriculture or what goes on around here. But there are times when the wind is blowing in a certain direction where it is really, really difficult to breathe. But most of the time, it's fine. I remember the first summer I was in Germany, where we were living wasn't quite rural, but there was still a lot of farm animals around in the area. And my boyfriend was like, yeah, like, don't you just love that smell? Like, I just really love that smell. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's poop. That is animal poop that you're talking about. But in the years since then, I've grown to actually understand what he means. Like, it's something about like the association where you're like, when you smell that, you know, you're out in nature, you're in a relaxing atmosphere. And even if it's not technically an appealing scent, it's still got this association that's just really nice. So 
Yeah, I, I can 100% back that up because this year I've started associating it with home. Like it's starting yeah. to feel like my home now. So it, it's not at all disturbing. Although I must say, like you say, it is worse when there are live animals and it's sort of that, that, that is a very different smell <laughs> that you can get. So <laughs> luckily we don't have too much of that, but we do have enough Landluft to, uh, to be noticeable. I think we're starting off with a really good foot. We're advertising moving to Germany with saying it smells like animal poop. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, folks. Come for the culture and stay for the animal poop, I guess. That's I it. Know. That's animal their poop. slogan. <laughs> How many people are, are in your village? In this village, I think it's about 2,000 people. So it's also not a small village. Um, it's just that it's way out in the middle of nowhere. Ah, that sounds pretty small to me. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've never lived anywhere that is village level at all and so all villages sound super tiny to me but i just was talking to someone she comes from a town of 300 people it's literally you're related to everyone yes and it's really difficult for foreigners out here i can (laughs) uh, i can attest that the people have been very friendly and welcoming but if you you know you know the normal germans that you deal with on a day-to-day basis out here it's a little different they're a lot more close circle and exactly like you said everyone has been their grandmothers went to school together and then they went to school together and now their kids are going to school together and then here come these uh, foreigners coming in trying to you know fit into the friend circles and you know and you're dealing with these people who've known each other for decades literally decades it's very very difficult there are so many movies that i've seen german movies about people from the city who move to the countryside and that's the whole plot it's just like how do these city folks even deal with the countryside (laughs) that level of of difference is so shocking for like the village people so I, I can't even imagine this next level of these South Africans coming in so actually that's something I wanted yeah. to ask the we that you're referring to is you and your wife correct are you both South Africans yes we got married in South Africa we knew each other in South Africa and we ended up moving to Germany before we had kids or anything we wanted to travel the world a bit uh, we also were living for 10 years in Johannesburg and uh, Johannesburg there's a lot of crime it's an exciting city. Uh, it's a great city, especially if you're younger. But uh, for, for starting a family, you start having second thoughts about it there. And we decided we want to travel a bit. Eventually, we, uh, we, my wife got a job in Germany. And we just thought, what the hell? I'd never been to Germany myself, but I'd been to Zurich. And my wife said, if you like Zurich, you'll like Germany. So I was like, okay, sounds, <laughs> sounds good enough for me. So yeah, that's how we got here. And at what point in this journey did you start having kids? About how long was it? It was about five years after we'd arrived. So when we when we arrived, we the plan was three years. Well, first of all, the plan was that I had to get a job, and we gave ourselves one year for that to happen. And fortunately, I got a job after four months. And then the plan was to stay for three years and then kind of reassess and see how we were feeling. In the beginning, it's a bit difficult with the, with the language. You don't know how, if you're ever going to fit in with the people. Uh, there's a lot of question marks. But by the time we got to three years, we thought, no, it's going pretty well. And by the time we were here for five years, we realized we were wanting to settle here in Germany. And we also really wanted to have kids. And yeah, that was that was when it happened. We were we were five years when my son was born, five years in Germany. Okay, so you have a son who's now seven, then if my math is correct. And then you have another kid too as well, right? No, uh, no. maybe my math. Wait, 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 wait. Hang wait. on. <laughs> maybe my math is wrong. How am I? No, my son was born three years uh, after we arrived. Sorry, Nicole. Three years oh. after we arrived in Germany. My maths is wrong. <laughs> well, at least you know your Which... kid's age. I feel like that's the more important part of this. <laughs> yeah. You've got yeah. a nine-year-old and 
another one? Yes, and another one, four years old. Okay. And I've got another one on the way. We've oh, got another one on the way coming up in October. Yeah. Oh, wow. Coming next, uh, Quite soon. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys staying in Germany for yeah. indefinitely then? We just loved it so much. And like, like I said, the option was uh, we could have gone back to South Africa, but there were a lot of things to think about with that kind of move as well. And we've just been so happy here. And, and Germany's done so much for us that we decided, yeah, we, we're settling. We're, we're going to stay here. And we, we're now also German citizens. So we went through the whole German citizenship, citizenship process. And yeah, we're German. So wow. we're definitely sticking around for a while. Is it the case that when you get German citizenship, you have to give up South African citizenship? Yeah, unfortunately it was, which was a difficult decision. Well, actually it wasn't a difficult decision to make. It was an unfortunate decision that we had to make because I think it was from from South Africa side, there's no reason that we would have to have a dual citizenship. So we had to renounce our South African citizenship. And I was a bit disappointed because when you hear like you have to renounce your citizenship, I always imagine that you'd stand up on a podium somewhere in front of a (laughs) a square full of people and you say, I hereby renounce my (laughs) South African citizenship. It was really just a letter that they had to write and say, yep, you're no longer a South African. It was, uh, you know, we did think about it a bit, but at the end of the day, we were so sure that we want to live in Germany. And at the end of the day, it's just a piece of paper. In my heart, I'm still a South African somehow. That's my roots. That's where I came from. But I'm also a German. So it's it, for me, it's not necessarily one or the other. I'm, I am both. The papers happen to say German. So now that you have given up the South African citizenship and you are raising kids in Germany, how are you dealing with this whole family life situation? Yeah, so for, for the most part, my kids only know being German. They, I mean, we go back for regular visits to South Africa and they get to see their family and uh, people that they know there. But I guess they're still too young. That's that's kind of a vacation for them. With my son, it's a little different. We've got kind of a different set of challenges with him and so on. So he, he was born with a very rare genetic defect. And uh, so that, that's, that's, of course, meant that he's He's, he doesn't process things the same as his sister does, uh, who does understand that she, that her parents at least were originally from South Africa and that uh, she now lives in Germany or that she lives in Germany with her parents. Um, so yeah, my son is kind of um, uh, not really sure of, of, of all of that. What language does your son speak? He is nonverbal. So maybe, maybe I can go into a little bit about what his problems are. The rare genetic defect that he has, uh, there is apparently, and I'm going to explain this very badly because I use layman's terms because that's the only way that I understand this, but essentially there's a protein that regulates the electric activity in our brains. And the gene that regulates that is called Syngap1. And for my son, for, for whatever reason, it was a spontaneous genetic defect. That means that neither my wife nor I are carriers per se, but it was a spontaneous uh, thing that happened in his specific case that meant that this gene doesn't work or this, this protein isn't produced in enough volumes for it to sufficiently regulate the electric activity in his brain. And the result of that is uh, these Syngap kids are intellectually disabled also, they have a lot of uh, motor problems because they, you know, they don't have a lot of muscle tone. And a uh, common trait is things like uh, they're nonverbal for a lot of times because they don't have the motor control or the fine motor control over their speech and, uh, and so on. So, yeah, that's, that's the case that we, were, that we have with him. And, and of, of course, it's a, an interesting case to have to deal with in a foreign country. 
Yeah, I'm trying to imagine like when you were figuring out that this was all happening. I mean, just to take it to like a very basic question, but when you were going through these doctor's appointments and things like that, were you having to do this in German? Yeah, it was it was all in German. We were living in Würzburg at the time. And the thing is, in the beginning, we didn't really know for sure that anything was wrong. We had in Germany, they call them Hebamas, which are kind of like midwives. So when you have a kid in Germany, you get midwife who comes after the birth. When you get home from the hospital, the midwife will be there to help you change the diapers and to take care of the kid. And she, uh, when we, we when we got home with my son, she was one of the first people to say to us, uh, something doesn't seem altogether right with this kid. But we kind of, you know, we were first time parents. And so we had no idea. And then what it, what started to happen is he started missing milestones. He wasn't putting uh, lifting his head up when he was supposed to. Then he wasn't sitting up when he was supposed to. And everything just became more and more delayed. So we ended up going to the Würzburg Clinic, uni clinic there, multiple times. And they did all these kinds of tests and assessments. And it was all in German. So that meant that everything that we were doing, every everything that we were dealing with was in German. And at that time, we'd been here for three years. So our German was, it was functional. But it, it's, you know, when you're dealing with scientific terms or medical terms, and you're trying to deal with uh, grammatic structure, and you're trying to deal with the Franconian uh, dialect, oh, it was very, very tough to understand what was going on. Um, so that that just added to the the confusion and the, you know, the, as, a, as a parent, it's kind of one of the things that you worry about the most. So during those times, we weren't sure. And uh, with all this other confusion and difficulties, it was, a, it was a very stressful and very difficult time to get through trying to figure out, is there actually something wrong with my son? And if so, what could it be? Yeah. And then once you figure that out, then comes the question of, and what do we do? Like, how do we accommodate this reality? And did you, in those moments, did you ever think about moving yeah. back to South Africa just to at least take away this factor of newness in the country, newness in the language? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that you think about or that you consider because we'd only been in the country for a few years. And at the beginning, the thing is, in the beginning phases, like I said, we weren't exactly sure that something for, that something definitely was wrong. And we also were told by some doctors that if it is something, he'll probably catch up anyway. You know, it's a, you'll, you'll develop at a normal rate at a later time or whatever. And it was very unsure until he was about 18 months old. So in those beginning times, we weren't even 100% certain that, that uh, he had difficulties. And I remember at the clinic the one day, I'd gone through the normal tests and whatever that we we usually had at the, they call it the Fru Diagnosis Centrum, which translates as early diagnosis center. And yeah, I went through the whole process and it was just a normal visit to the doctor as we were getting accustomed to. And then for some reason on that visit, they sent me to kind of the resident psychologist there, which I didn't think was strange. I just thought it was an extra discussion to have. And when I got into the room and she was discussing the, my son with me in German, I suddenly realized that today was the day they were telling us my son had a problem and that he probably wouldn't catch up. She, she, you know, and I realized, I thought back to that day's visits and I was like, oh, wow, the doctors were actually trying to tell me today that my son has a problem. And I don't think I was understanding because of the German, because of the issues. And one of the things that they concretely told me or that, sh that she told me was that he's not going to catch it up either. It's going to be a lifelong problem for him. And... 
she, I think the way that she phrased it was, I can't remember the exact words because, because she said it in German, but she said something along the lines of, how does it feel to know that you, you have a son with uh, disabilities or a child with disabilities? And I just, uh, it just caught, caught in my throat. I suddenly realized, wow, this, you know, it kind of all hit me in that room, uh, what we were dealing with. But yeah, and then afterwards, like you say, it was a difficult situation to figure out what do we do now? And it, there, were, there were thoughts, I guess, of returning to South Africa being a possibility because the problem was uh, we knew that his speech was delayed at that point. And we were going, well, if he's, if he's struggling in English, he's really going to struggle to learn a second language. And he has to, at some point, function in this culture. And, and he has to be able to speak to people, communicate to people. So it was a very difficult decision because now you're faced with the, with the case of we need to think about the language for him. But at the same time, the care that he's getting here, the psychologists that we are able to see or that we have access to here in Germany, and the amount of support that we get both from the state and from the medical aid is just you cannot compare with South Africa. So we, we were faced with a very big decision. Do we take my son home where he might be able to integrate into the culture better when he's an adult or, or later on in life? Or do we stay here and get him the best help that we can possibly get to him, get for him, but he might not ever be able to communicate or integrate himself into this language? So it's a big decision. <laughs> it's, it, it was a big decision. And obviously, since we're here, we decided to go the German route. I'm trying to even yeah. formulate in my brain how to ask a question about that decision-making process because it seems just so huge and complicated. So let me just ask, how did you make that decision? Or did it just happen? Did like life just keep going and then all of a sudden you were like, I guess we're here? <laughs> a little bit of both, I think. Um, I don't know if the choice was ever really that difficult the, the, because South Africa comes with a, with a whole bunch of other problems on top of it. So not only were we deciding about my son, but if we go back to South Africa, we're saying, right, we're going to go back to a lot more crime. It's a very different lifestyle in South Africa. I love the country. It's, it's a beautiful country, beautiful people. But the problems mean that you live a lifestyle where you're behind electric fences for most of the times. Every time you drive out in your car, there's a danger that you're going to get hijacked. You, you're always alert when you stop at traffic lights. And one of the things that we loved about Germany was just being free of that kind of paranoia and living in a little bubble where you just go to work and come home and hide behind your security fences. So if we decided for South Africa for my son's language issues, we'd, always, we'd also be deciding that we would go back to a much more insecure way of life, much more paranoia. And you can do that, but, it, but at the same time, we also loved that, that freedom here too much. So I guess that factored into the decision as well. I know from my own experience of German bureaucracy, sometimes, arguably too often, it's the case where you get the answers that you need only when you ask the right questions. But it's almost like this game where no one likes to tell you how to ask the question or what question to ask. You just have to sort of stumble upon it. Um was that the case with the health care situation that you guys were navigating? Or was it more open, more, I guess, user-friendly when you're trying to, to figure out, okay, so we're here, what next? A bit, a bit of both at different parts of the journey. Um, at some points, it was, uh, there, I must say that a lot of the doctors, a lot of the, the helpers that we had here were very helpful. And at times, we've had help thrust upon us. So, you know, a lot of options there, there are options to 
to have a, a certain amount of hours per year that we can have a babysitter because of his condition. So we don't have to pay a babysitter. And, and a lot of that time, a lot of these things were just told to us that, you know, in, in this case, because you ha- your son has a, a behinderte Ausweis, a, a certificate to say that he's disabled, then you get access to certain things. So people were very good at explaining that kind of thing. And, and my wife also, she's incredible. And she's very, very determined and researches a lot of these things. And basically, she's also discovered a lot of the options that we've, we've got available to us. So between that, it wasn't too bad. The bureaucracy wasn't too bad. I think where we had more of the problems was having a lot of the doctors in the beginning say, your son is, being, is a normally developing kid, he's going to be fine. And then that sudden turnaround where, where it wasn't. And then we didn't have a diagnosis until he was five years old when we got when we got his actual diagnosis. Oh, wow. So, and we only got that diagnosis because we followed some parts on our own. We basically happened to send him to a, for a g- genetic test. Um, it was kind of this thing in Erlangen where they were doing some research and they said, if you, we will test your kid for these things because we're, we're also going to use the data for research. And we did that. And that's how we accidentally discovered uh, his diagnosis. So it was a bit of both, I think, a bit of both. Um, if we'd never done that, we would never, or maybe who knows, but we could have at some point gotten a diagnosis, but I don't know. Yeah. And would you feel comfortable sharing some of what does it look like? What are some of the forms that the help that you receive in Germany versus South Africa look like? Like for one, you mentioned that you're able to get a certain amount of babysitter hours per month or year or what have you. What else do they offer for people in situations like that? Yeah, they offer they offer a lot of things. I mean, a lot of the, uh, the the therapies are covered by medical aid, and he gets all kinds of therapies. So he gets I, I struggle with the with the English terms for things now, um, but he gets he gets things like um, motor uh, therapy, um, physiotherapy, Physical, basically yeah. mm-hmm. a lot of physiotherapy. He gets uh, speech therapy. So all of that is is included with the medical aid. We also get from the medical aid, he's still in diapers. He's nine years old and still wearing diapers. So we get diapers basically every month that we don't have to pay for. And we also get a certain amount of money from the state. And that's, I think that's one of the biggest things about, about having this situation in Germany is that you've got a lot of that welfare support, if you want to put it that way, for people who who end up in the situation with a kid and really need the extra help. And I can see it helping integrate him more as well. And just to come back to the speech thing, he's now slowly learning German. So he's still very much nonverbal, but he'll say short sentences like, ich möchte handy bitte. I want the phone, please. Um, so it, it's been amazing to see that aspect as well, that in the long run, it was the right decision, if you want to call it right or wrong, that we stayed here and got this help and he is also slowly learning German. That's fantastic. And what does school look like for him? Here in Germany, they've got uh, several kinds of organizations that help with these kinds of things, um, like Lebenshilfe. There's a few of them, Diakoni. And there's a school, a Lebenshilfe school. So it's basically a special school where he goes through the the school years, but it's a much slower process. And they take it each each kid gets the kind of attention that they need and the speed that they need to go through. So if my son wasn't able to learn letters of the alphabet, but other kids in his class were, they adjusted to that uh, system. So it's been, it's been quite amazing. And then they get the therapies that they need 
in the school grounds or at the school. So there's there's not only teachers there, but therapists. So they'll go through the school school lessons and then he will go to some kind of therapy sessions and whatever. So everything happens at the school. Does that last until like a traditional school age then? So like 16 to 18? Yeah. So the, the idea is that at the end, they uh, are able to do some kind of job that they have a set of skills that they can do. And then the Lebenshilfe and these Diakoni groups are also very good at taking these kids when they're out of the school and providing jobs for them. For example, friends of ours uh, utilize Lebenshilfe gardening groups. So a bunch of uh, gardeners come around, kids that uh, were at the school um, that are now adults, and then they basically do the gardening for you. And then, yeah, that's it. That's their job. So they get paid for it and it's pretty good. So there's a very, very good care system also when they leave school. They're kind of being uh, guided up to that level and then helped afterwards. The German welfare system, I mean, you think what you want of it, but it's a very robust and uh, solid system. And I guess that there's a lot of people who do take advantage of it. I, I don't know. They're, I can say that there's a lot of checks and balances to make sure that you don't. We, we get a visit from someone quite regularly to, to make sure that it, he is at the level that, that we say he is and so on. But it's incredible that the, the way that they look after kids like this here and, and the, the, just the guidance and the, the help that they provide. How is it um, in like day-to-day life? I'm wondering, like, I've only in certain contexts seen German people interact with people with special needs. And I feel like yeah. German people are just culturally so different from Americans where I'm more used to seeing people interact with people with special needs. Yeah. And so I'm just really curious, like, yeah, what is it like? How, how do the people in your, your village or area react? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, people generally kind of just ignore you mostly, you know, which is a good thing because sometimes if my son's having a massive meltdown on the sidewalk, I think everyone in the village knows us. He, he's got a very uh, piercing screech that he, <laughs> that he can do when, he, when he's really upset. And, you know, sometimes he just has a meltdown or whatever. So people are generally indifferent or they pretend not to notice. Um, and if not, they're very, very sweet and kind to him. So I think we've, we've generally not had any problems and it's just been a very positive response to him on a day-to-day basis. People generally do show a bit more patience. We've had one or two incidents where people were maybe not so understanding, but generally the feeling is they're either ignoring us or they're being very kind to us. (laughs) Sounds about uh, what I could have imagined for the Germans. (laughs) Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, several years into this whole experience and adventure, how are you guys feeling about staying? I mean, it sounds like it's been a really positive experience overall being here. It has. It, it definitely has. Uh, I mean, my daughter as well, she she came along five years down the line. I better check with my maths if that's correct. She was born. <laughs> yeah, uh, she was born five years after my my son was born. Yeah, she is integrating herself amazingly. It's incredible. We, we only speak English at home. And then she goes to her kindergarten and she's she's picking up not just German, but Franconian German incredibly quickly. So she's going to be at a, a stage where she's going to be correcting us. And yeah, I think, yeah, we, we, we just really, really enjoying our lives. And we're at a point where this definitely feels like home. Also out here in the country with all the... Uh, the challenges that we have here with the challenges that we have with my son, it's definitely home and we've made it something that I think is also good for our kids. Do you have any wise words of wisdom for anyone who might be in a similar situation? Of course, maybe not the exact same situation as what you guys went through um, with your son, but any sort of similarly tense 
confusing situations like that where you have to make a decision. What do you think is something that you've learned that you could kind of hand on to others? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think a, lo- a lot of it is to to take your time and understand what the what the doctors are saying. And sometimes what you feel in these situations, you, a lot of doctors or professionals will try and rush you out the door, not because they're being rude, but because they're generally exceptionally busy at these places. There's very much a mindset of onto the next one. And they'll just do the bare minimum with you and rush you through what they're saying and then go into the next one. But I, I think it's important to take to make sure that you stop them and say, please explain that to me a second time. I'm, I'm, I don't speak German. You're speaking too fast. So a lot of times the doctors switch to English. So I, I would say just push a little bit that they give time. And quite often what comes out of those conversations, when you slow them down and force them to think about things a little bit, you get more information or they think of more options for you. And I think that's that's maybe a big thing is just don't be afraid to to push to get the information that you want. How has it felt for you as the father, as a foreigner? Because I know sometimes for me, like I feel like I always try to push staying in German, even in situations where I'm like, no, this is hurting me just because I don't I, I feel like a some type of self-consciousness about it. Did you ever experience anything like that? Yeah, I very much so. I, I very much like to stay in German. I, I always feel a bit awkward when people switch to English with me. Although at work it's different. I love I love speaking English at work because I got but people who are friends there and I express I still express myself better in English than in German. But in in situations like that, I do tend to want to stick stay in German. And quite often when they do switch, the doctor's English is not always the better option, <laughs> to put it that way, because they speak good English and they, they they understand it really well, but they don't practice it as often. So sometimes it's also very diff- difficult to, un- to know if you've definitely gotten what they were trying to say. So I've generally tried to stay in German in those situations. And and if I don't understand, then ask for a, for a repeat or for them to say something again. But yeah, it's difficult because you're basically the voice for your kid in a normal situation. It's like that. But in a case where your kid has special needs is even more the case. And my wife has been on the front end of dealing with a lot of that as well. She is, uh, she, because I was usually off at work and whatever, she was going through the doctors. They were, she was handling all of those discussions. And it's, she also likes to stay in the German or in German and and addresses in German. And it's also helped our German, I guess, going through yeah. these things. I mean, we've got a very good knowledge of, of medical terms <laughs> and terminology and doctors, doctors areas. So if anyone has any questions about that, they can definitely contact me. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny when you were trying to explain certain things earlier and you were like, oh gosh, I don't know that I know the English word for this. And yeah. I know that feeling when you're like, I only learned this area in yeah. German and now I don't yeah. know. I just don't know what to do with it. <laughs> it's, it's such a strange situation to be in, but yeah, that, that definitely happens. And now you are about to welcome a third child into your life. And yeah. how is it looking? Are you excited? Are you guys ready? October soon. <laughs> yes, it's very, it's very, very soon. Yeah, I'm very, very, very excited. We're very excited. We always wanted a, a bigger family. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. By the, by the third time you're kind of like, yeah, we know, we know how this goes and we don't have to go for the pre pre birth lessons or you know those kinds of things. So it's just we're just taking it easy and we're getting really excited. Are your other kids pumped about becoming big siblings? Well, yeah, um, my daughter sings to the bump and she uh, oh. she's very very excited. Talks a lot about it. I don't, I don't think she realizes the reality of it when when the kid is there that she's going to be second fiddle for a while to mom. She's definitely a mommy's girl, so. I right, think she'll, and- she'll uh, have something to deal with at that time. <laughs> um, 
and my son is also very excited. He's very um, obsessed with the bump at the moment. So he kind of just stares at it and then he tries to prod it every now and then. So he's definitely, I think he understands for the most part what's, what's going to happen. And we, you know, we read these little baby books and so on, on a daily basis to explain this is what happens when the baby's there. This is what a baby is. So I think he's, he knows that something is coming, uh, even if he doesn't fully understand what it is. He's also kind of excited. Oh, that's so exciting. With that, we will transition ourselves into the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It's a rapid-fire question round. I'm going to ask you three questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? Very exciting. Very exciting. I've waited a long time to be on the other end of Zack, Zack, Zack with you. (laughs) All right. What is the best day trip to do from your little village? From my little village? It depends how far you want to travel, but within about... I would say 50 kilometers, uh, two ways. You can either go 50 kilometers kind of east of us and you get to the uh, the Frankische Schweiz. I don't know if you know it. It's the Franconian, sort of a Franconian forest, but there's a lot of a lot of hiking trails out there, biking trails. It's really a beautiful area. So I, I still need to explore it way more. And if you go west from us, there's a little town that we take all of our visitors when they come to visit us uh, called Rotenburg ob der Tauber. It's kind of a cute little town built it's got the town wall around it still and they've got a christmas museum there that's the whole time and it's very quaint and feels very exactly what you'd expect germany to be like very good number two what is one snack that you buy for your kids in air quotes but actually you secretly snack on it yourself <laughs> well actually we we very strict about candy and stuff with our kids so we don't buy too much snacks so i generally i buy snacks and hide them from the kids and then snack with them. <laughs> It's things like I've got a weakness for Mars bars. <laughs> Very good. Okay. And number three, when you speak in German and you have an accent, where do people think that you're from? Oh, they think I'm from everywhere. A lot of the times they think I'm from Amsterdam or uh, from uh, from the Netherlands because I, I guess it's the Afrikaans pull on my language. And uh, quite often they think Australian. Those were your XXX, and this was our episode. And if people want more from you, where can they find you? Uh, well, I have a podcast too. By the way, I'm going to edit this out because you're not getting... No, no, no. There can't be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm going to... You know what? I'm going to record on my side and I'm going to release this unofficial audio. Uh, yeah, I'm, I also run an expat podcast uh, called Expat Life Germany, and uh, people can find me on, on the website, expatlifegermany.de, or they can go to uh, Instagram, and I'm expatlifegermany, and expatlifede on Twitter. I had to give you a hard time because we're actually supposed to be yes. gut rivals. We're just failing yes. miserably at it and becoming... No, we're terrible. You're too nice to be a rival, Nicole. Uh, and you're, you're too nice and you're too knowledgeable about all things podcasting and it's just awful. It's just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to dislike you so much, but I can't. <laughs> but all I can say is your podcast is actually fantastic and I can do nothing but oh, okay. recommend it. So please, if you're listening to this show, you'll definitely love Sean's show. Give it a go. Thanks so much. And thank you so much for having me on the show. You, you couldn't have been nicer about having me on. Thank you for coming on. It was a blast getting to chat. 
Thank you one more time to Sean for coming on the show. And hey, thanks for reaching out to me way back when, when you were launching your podcast. You can find links to all of Sean's stuff in the show notes. And one more time, his podcast is called Expat Life Germany. I really hope you guys go and give his show a listen and leave him a rating and review because that is the best thing you can do for an independent podcast. While you're already rating and reviewing his show, rate and review mine too. <laughs> Throw the expat cast some stars and don't forget to hit subscribe. Thanks as always to Gordon Eisenach, my partner in podcasting and the life, and to Amy Lungy Art for the logo. Thanks to Sidehug for the theme music. You can find them on Instagram at a hug from the side. Next week on the show, you're going to get to know a little bit more about me. It's an episode where I'm my own guest and I share with you guys a more detailed version of my personal expat story. Until then, have a great week.